What a glorious moment it is to see God multiply his ministry. How that is the goal for the entire church. I would uh, say to Mike in front of everybody <clears throat> what Steve Brown reminded us, uh, the leadership team that met the other night. You know, there's a misunderstanding, especially uh, among people who go to seminary. They're, the first uh, inclination is that God picks out the very best of his people for leadership in his church and sends them to seminary for that training. What God actually does is picks out the very worst of his people, uh, sends them to seminary because he knows that these people are just ornery enough, he's got to stick them up in, a bunch, in front of a bunch of other Christians so they won't mess up so much. And I, I want to testify that's true, and, uh, and you're in a good place, and God knew that you needed it, and he knew that I needed it. But welcome to the brotherhood. Now, let me also issue for you, uh, we got, everybody waiting for a seat back there? This is so cool. Thanks for not giving up and going to Wendy's or wherever. <laughs> we, we've got a special challenge this morning because uh, Vernon, our brother who usually leads us, um, has been called away for a funeral. Uh, many of you know Rudy Callahan. Uh, Rudy's mom died expectedly, wonderfully. There's a great celebration party going on. Uh, but um, the timing of this is that he can't be with us to lead us this weekend, so we're all going to step up to the plate, and we're all going to lead. So I want you to, to, to just do heads up, and we're going to take turns, and uh, it's going to be great because we're going to do this for Vernon and Rudy and, and just lead um, um, as God leads us. Now let me tell you the theme of this morning's worship. We've been preaching all year on holiness. And you've been told again and again, holiness is not about self-improvement. Holiness is not about what we do for God. Only God is holy. And therefore, if only God is holy, then our holiness comes from incorporating the character of God into us and manifesting His character. And so this year we have been uh, pointing out different attributes of God that will be manifested uh, in us through Jesus Christ. And this morning, we want to concentrate on God's generosity. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get uh, into the worship uh, of singing and prayer. God, we love this family. We love your whole family, and we pray for every church that's meeting this morning to to worship you and lift you up. And we pray for them what we pray for us. Holy Spirit, come and help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to worship you in ways that we can never get to by the flesh, ways that are pleasing to you because we're here for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is one of the tremendous ironies of life that the way you fill up emptiness is not to get, but to give. If you will turn in Jesus' sermon, Matthew chapter 6, we will go back over his central points. We have been taught in these past few weeks by him that laying up treasures in heaven means giving. It means investing our material goods, starting with the tithe, in his works. It means investing our conduct 
in the world, changing our deeds. It means investing our lives in people. And when we do that, when we give ourselves away, there's something laid up in heaven that will last for an eternity. But what we have not understood yet, and what Jesus teaches us today, is that there is something different down here that happens too. We become different people with different perceptions. We become people filled with light instead of people filled with darkness. Read these verses with me. Starting with verse 22, it says, The lamp of the body is the eye. And therefore, if your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. Now, this is a physical metaphor, of course. And what it is saying is this. There is something that is very important about a little point of entry. And this little point determines a lot. Just this one point determines a lot. And if you, if you get it wrong in this point, then it has tremendous consequences. The lamp of the body is the, is the eye. And if the eye is clear or sound, the Greek word is hoplos. Hoplos. And it means generous. It means wide. It means um, unadulterated by little selfish considerations. Um, it, it means taking it all in, all that there is. Then Jesus gives the contrast, as he usually does. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The word here for bad in Greek is paneros. It means stingy. Uh, in some of your, in some of your uh, Bibles, the, the translation is, if your eye is evil. You know, we have an expression giving somebody the evil eye. And you can picture exactly what that looks like. See, that's giving somebody the evil eye. Your eye becomes narrow. Why? Why does your eye become narrow? Because your spirit is stingy, but watch this. People who can't see well, what do they do? They squint. Exactly. Your eye becomes narrow because you can't see well, and so your natural reflex is to squint, to try to see better. Therefore, what needs more information is closing down. Now look at what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. It doesn't say no one should serve two masters. It says no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a, is a word for all material things, but even more for the philosophy of material things. God and mammon have two radically different philosophies. God says the way that you get is to give. The way you fill is to empty. 
The world says the way you try to fill the emptiness is to get, to accumulate, to achieve. Two radically different philosophies. And here Jesus says, you know what? You got to choose. And to not choose God means you choose the world by default because that's where you live and that's what you've been trained in. Now I've got three quick points I want to give you this morning that you probably already know, but you need somebody to remind you. That'd be me. Number one, you don't get generous without Jesus Christ living inside you. There isn't a thing in your flesh that wants to be generous. There isn't a thing in your flesh that doesn't want to be in competition. It says what we, what we read in, in, uh, in Titus this morning, that before we came to Christ, we were enslaved to various lusts. You know what a lust is. It's wanting something you ought not to have. It's wanting something that isn't yours. Enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and being hated. <laughs> what a life. But when the kindness of God, notice the difference. Kindness, that's a giving thing. That's an undeserved thing. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know what happened? God came to live inside you and gave you his quality of kindness and generosity. That all is resident in you if you have Jesus Christ living in your heart. But the problem is, we still kind of have the old man in our mentality, even though spiritually speaking, he's dead as a doornail. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, this, knowing this, that our old self, our old man, the old way we thought, the way we were taught to think in the world, if you're empty, you get, you accumulate. Our old self was crucified. When we, when we joined up with Christ, we died to those old things. So it's dead. He's dead. She's dead. With him, that our body of sin might be done away with, and that we no longer be slaves to sin. So there is this, there is this sense in which we're still thinking in an old, dead way. We're not really those people anymore. And to become generous, we just have to live up to who we are now in Christ. It says in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. See, you have the power to do this. You can just decide, I'm going to be like Jesus because he's who's living inside of me. That's who I am. And I'm not going to make provision to try to get and accumulate and so on and so forth in order to be filled anymore. I'm going to have a different perspective. One of the things that we need to remember is that God gives us a radically different perspective. And it is a much more wide open, much more pleasant perspective. And we're ashamed of the old man when we think of it. I, was, I, told, I told some of you this story uh, at one time. Let me tell it again. I was out running one day several years ago. 
And you, really, the, usually the only time I can work out is during my lunch hour, during noon time. So, and this is before I belong to a gym, so I'm out running in the hottest part of the day, and I'm getting, I'm on my last mile, and I'm just mad. And you know how, when you're in pain, you just get mad. Um, uh, that's usually why people are mad, is, either, is because they're afraid, and then they're in pain, and then they get mad. And so I'm thinking, this, I'm mad because this body isn't working like it used to and sore and I'm out running. And, and I'm running down uh, my neighborhood, my old neighborhood, and I see this guy. His back is to me. He's sitting in one of these little chairs, you know those beach chairs that just have those little short legs so you can kind of sit in the ocean? He's just sitting in one of those under the shade tree with a straw hat on, just kind of gardening. And I'm mad. Because I'm working, and he looks like a bum to me. I'm thinking to myself, for crying out loud, here's a guy who is too stinking lazy to do gardening like a guy, stand up and bend over and get to stuff and, and do the thing. He has to sit in a chair under the shade. And I'm just getting mad. I'm running toward this guy. His back's to me. I'm running. I'm getting madder by the step thinking, I'm working, he's a bum. I run past the guy. I felt like saying something, but I didn't. Run past the guy. I looked back. He didn't have any legs. All of a sudden, in my mind, he turned from a bum to a hero. See, he's just sitting in that little chair to keep himself off the ants. But he was still out doing something to make the world better. All of a sudden, my body was full of light because I saw a bigger picture. My eyes were opened in a way they hadn't been before. I want to tell you that Christ does that for us in all aspects of life. That we start off with a stingy spirit, an evil eye, very suspicious, very malicious, very envious, full of competition. That's the first thing we do. But we got to release that. I don't, you know, it's no fun to live that way. You know it's no fun to be mad at people all the time. And I know it's no fun to be mad at people all the time. I don't know why people are. Oh, I do. They've been hurt. They've been disappointed when they were younger. I understand that. And so when you get disappointed, you don't want to trust anybody anymore. You become a cynic because you think if you don't believe in anybody, you'll never be disappointed again. What you don't realize is you'll always be mad. You'll always be mad. You know what I think? I think the, the mean people, the people who are always trying to put other people down, including Christians. This has forms of holiness, by the way. There's kind of a self-righteousness to this thing. There's kind of a control thing. The Bible says, says people, this was people's condemnation. They love the darkness rather than the light. You know why? Because in darkness, you're in control. If you're mad at somebody, at least you're better than they are, see? You know what I think? I think people, even Christians, just have the same, forgive, please forgive the earthiness of this illustration or this metaphor, but I, but I, I think they had just a bad potty training experience. I do. I think, I think something went wrong, and they didn't get enough credit for what they did there. <laughs> and they decided, well, 
what's up with this? I'm just going to go through the rest of my life taking in as much as I can and not delivering anything. Well, you know how cranky that makes you. I mean, literally, people who have the philosophy of the world get as much as you can and give as little as you can. They're just full of darkness. I mean, that's literally the philosophy of the world. Think of it for a minute. And it makes you cranky and it makes you mean. And, and it doesn't do you any good at all. What, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, look, what good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What, what does it profit you? It doesn't profit you anything. Now, the Bible says this. You know what you need to do? You need to choose God's way. You know what God's way is? God's way isn't to just keep seeking something better than you got. God's way is to give all of what you have to what you got. I took a little sailing trip this uh, summer, a teaching tour. Some of you knew about that. Uh, the churches of Revelation and the churches of Paul and and on that sailing vessel, we had some really neat folks. And we had some couples that had mar been married for uh, um, some 40-some, some of them 50 years. And, and I watched them on this boat and, and, the, and the, the, the ship that we were on only, only held 66 passengers. So we all got to know each other real well. And it was a sailing vessel. But they had a, they had a time when they'd strike up the music. And, and these older couples would dance with one another. And they were just having a ball. There's kids there and they're, they're dancing with the kids. And they were just, and I thought to myself, you know what? Somewhere along the line. These people decided that instead of searching for the perfect mate, they'd settle for who they had. Somewhere along the line, they gave up the ideal of the perfect in order to perfect the real. You know how it always runs through our mind if we have a conflict with somebody. Well, maybe I can find somebody better. Maybe somebody can fill my needs better. You know what happens? You never get to the place of contentment. Never. And so these people weren't perfect. They weren't, they weren't even perfect for one another. Anybody who's been married 50 years has been through a war <laughs> with each other. But somewhere along the line, they said, I'm going to give to this person despite the fact that I don't like them sometimes. I'm going to give to this person despite the fact that I'm empty and they won't fill me up. And the reward of that is a wonderful marriage. A wonderful marriage. You know, we've just got to think of this even in broader terms. Everyone, every strength has a downside. Every person who has a strength has a weakness that goes along with it. Did you ever notice that? It's true. It's true. I, I, I go in to, to the gym, and, and there's some young, beautiful, muscular, good-looking people in there. But you know what? Usually when you're young and good-looking, you're usually at a stage in life where you're poor and confused. 
I mean, it's true. Yeah, when you were young and good looking, you were poor and confused. Somebody asked you what you're going to do in 10 years. You didn't, you, you didn't have a clue. Dude, 10 years? I just hope I'm better off than I am now. That's what you said. <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, if you're rich, chances are you're old and maybe ugly. I don't know. <laughs> you, you'd know that better than I would. But there's trade-offs. Just the correlations, just speaking general principles here. If you're, if you're brilliant, chances are you're an airhead. Because you don't think in terms of details, and so you make a lot of work for other people to do, and you don't even realize it. <laughs> On the other hand, if you really are a detail person, chances are you're annoying. <laughs> because you're mad at everybody else because they're not detail people. <laughs> if you're a strong person, chances are you're insensitive, and you tend to run over the very people you love. If you're a sensitive person, Chances are you're a weenie. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And you won't stand up to the very people you should. Some of the worst parenting combinations in the world are two nice people. You got to have a tyrant in there someplace or they'll never stand up to their kids. You see, there's trade-offs in this whole thing. But watch this. Watch this. When you have God's perspective because you've chosen to give to whom God has given you, despite their weaknesses, you have chosen to give them the benefit of the doubt. You have chosen to open up your eyes and to look at them in light of the best possible angle. You live happy. Do you know how many weird people are beloved in our lives because we've decided to love them. They're part of our family. How many, of you, how many of you got weird people in your family? Yeah, okay, you don't need to raise your hand. But I know you do. I know you got that guy in the, you know, with the straw hat and a little beer can on the side and, the, you know, the little funny Bermuda shorts and he's just weird. But, but he's, he's your uncle and, and that's just how Uncle Harry is. You know, that's how he's always been and he's just part of our family and we love him anyhow. It's the same thing in the church. We've got lots of weird people in this church. <laughs> Just strange people. But they're family. They're family. And I'm one of them. And, you know, I'm family. You, gotta, you just got to take me or leave me. But I, we're family, see? And it's all, always much better if we take each other. Because we've decided that we're in this thing together. And let me tell you the beauty of this. Once we decide that, once we decide we're going to love each other anyhow, we're not going to keep looking for the ideal congregational member. <laughs> we're going to take who God gives us and love them just like they are, just like God loved them. You know what happens? All of the combined weaknesses seem irrelevant because God puts together all of the combined strengths. That's his system, you see. 1 Corinthians 12. It's a wonderful system. And so here's how I would challenge us today, straight from Scripture. Here's what Jesus said. <clears throat> you can't have two systems of looking at people in your life. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't say, 
on the one hand, you know, I really want to be a giving person. I want to give people the benefit of the diet. I want to, get, I want to start by giving, giving money because I know my attitude will follow. And then I want to give, I want to give uh, 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 my time and, and so and so. You can't do that and say, but I know the only way I'll ever be happy is by accumulating. I know the only way I'll ever be happy is by getting. No, it's two different systems. And Jesus said, you got to choose. You got to choose. Pray with me. Lord, thanks for not uh, giving us a confused message. Thank you for making it so clear that we could not miss it. And Lord, we pray today that people would choose God and not the philosophy of the material world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand up. We're going to do something different today. Let me ask the prayer team to come down. Some of you need to make choices today, and you need somebody to pray with you on those choices, not the least of which is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've not done that, you don't have the capacity for what I just talked about. You're still in the flesh and you will always be competitive and you'll always think that the answer to emptiness is getting. But when you have Jesus Christ living in you, you have a different nature. So if you don't have that nature yet, you can have that this morning. And some of you need prayer because you just need prayer and you need somebody to pray with. Come down and they'd love to pray with you. And now in the name of God the Father and of God the Son, and of God the Holy Spirit, may we go from here seeing as he sees and loving as he loves. Amen.